Hi, Mamas. Or Mamas to be. I'm Kayla. And I'm Tara. And welcome, welcome to, to Motherhood, Motherhood Leaked. We're two first time mums leaking unfiltered tales of motherhood. Being there, getting there, and possibly getting lost along the way. Let's, Let's chat. chat. May contain swearing. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Motherhood Leaked. Hi, Kayla. Hi, Tars. How are you doing? I am doing so well. I'm so excited. I know I usually ask you. What, what are you excited first. about? I'm excited because we're speaking about Talayal Stone today, who I is know. like a parenting guru. It feels so like monumental for us because I think I remember mentioning to you like when we were talking about starting a podcast, I love to get Lael on here because of everything she talks to around how we're trying to parent and just to spread that. So we will get there. We will. But first, how are you? Well. What's happening in your world this week? La, I think last week I spoke. La, <laughs> last week I spoke about how Bo was transitioned into a toddler bed. Last night was the first time he was in his own room. So for the first time in two years and four months, I think that's how old he is. Mm. Um, I had spent one night away from him when I had my birthday night away. Yes. Um, but last night was the second, and I must admit it was like a bit heartbreaking because my room like feels so empty, and I'm like I even can... talking about it, I'm getting emotional, but I'm pregnant, so give me a break. Yeah, I can um, imagine it is a big step. Oh my god, for you. so like, big. I I but just, he did really well. It took him a little while to get to sleep. He was, you know, a bit excited, I guess. He had a bit of energy. Mm-hmm. I just stayed with him. Um, and then he did wake up at 11.30 crying, saying, mummy, mummy. So I think he might have got a bit scared of, like where he yeah. woke up. Yeah. Um, but I just went in and gave him a cuddle. And I'm like, are you okay? You know, you want to stay here? And he was like, yep. And just got got his dummies and went back to bed and slept at 6.30, which is a sleep in for Bo, if anyone wow, knows him. Wow, that is huge. Yeah. And I look. And I how did up, you sleep? Let's yeah, look. Speak. I got up three or four times. Other than being pregnant, pregnant like you know, we, it must have felt. I can. I can't even imagine at this point because yeah, we're still in very much. We all sleep in the same bed, and like, yeah, it's. I admire you having the courage because it is courageous to do. Like, you yeah, know, look, I would. If I would have easily like been like, come back in my bed, bedroom. Not he yes. doesn't sleep in my bed in my bedroom. But you're doing what works for you in this next phase. And yeah, like, and I just want him that. to be able to have a restful night too. Like once I yeah, have the baby, totally I'm thinking about that. Yeah. Um. But I was saying, like, I hope baby comes a little bit early so that my room's full again. <laughs> I also am hoping that too because you did ask me to be your um, impromptu birth partner. If you I go. did. So if my I'm mum's look- not here on time. Yes. So, I look, I am not going to lie. I'm kind of – I don't want your baby to come prematurely. I want your, you to have the most healthy – Best birth, well, but do I want to be? Do I want to be that person? Yes, I do. Yes, I felt like you were asking partner. me to marry me when you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yes, I'm. I'm proud of you and Bo for going through that transition. Um, yes, yeah, big week. How about you? I'm good. It was a big week of. Um, just lots of feelings and emotions on my part. I feel like a little, the little girly me was letting go of a lot this week, which was beautiful in itself. Um, feel very grateful to have friends like you here supporting me in that. Um, but also on on the flip to some releasing for me was I did a lot of manifesting this week. I've got yeah. some neighbours that we just – it's like the universe provided this another great soul connection and this couple are just like so – yeah, my you kind were of so people. Inspired, I can we tell. had like yeah. we had a um, you know, I, I I was thinking about this night when it was happening about how like you know, when I was a child, my parents probably in their thirties were having their friends over, having a barbecue, <laughs> drinking, and nothing wrong with that. Like you you do yeah. that, and like I would still enjoy that look. But we were there, the my husband and I and our neighbors sitting there. We had both boys asleep, so we we because we lived across from the road from each other, we put Elliot asleep at home and carried him across the road. Oh, you did, <laughs> yeah, we kind of, did, yeah. and we put him to bed there, and we all sat up vision board until 2 a.m i felt very i felt very um rebellious staying up to 2 (laughs) a.m but it was like it was beautiful we sipped some red wine and we all just got so into yeah what we want our lives to be so i'm feeling very very positive as well as just everything but just so excited for right now in the future for life yes for life 
Okay, well, but I'm also let's bring that anxiety into this um, anxiety. anxiety. Oh my god, wrong word. Ex- excitement into this episode. This yes. episode is all on conscious parenting, on navigating what that actually is, and how how it's hard to do that as a mum and, yeah. and, and a dad. Like how that is hard. And we talked. Um, yeah, what else we talk about? I don't know. Yeah, like just lot, in all depth of that. about you know advice about how to navigate that, mm. and um, you know the school system, and so much. Let's just get into it. Let's go. If you're based on the Gold Coast, Bump Southport offers a community for all women. Whether you're returning to or starting your fitness journey, Bump has something for you. Particularly if you're pregnant or postpartum. And Tara, should we mention that you can have a shower after a class and even wash your hair while your kid is in the creche? And Kayla, don't worry about a towel because they supply them, as well as tea and coffee, and you can drink it while it's hot. I know, this sounds all too good to be true, but head on over to Bump Southport and check them out for yourself. Excited to welcome. I'm going to refer to you as parenting guru, Lyle Stone today. Welcome. Welcome to the show. I feel like you need a little clap. Yay. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for having me. We really appreciate you taking the time to come on because we know how busy you are. Um, Would you like to start by telling us a bit more about yourself? I mean, there is so much to know about you that I probably couldn't like tell everybody. Um, Well, I, I often say that I've been working with families for about 20 years now. So I started working in birth. A long time ago as a childbirth educator and a doula and a postnatal trauma counsellor. So I worked a lot with families, particularly that had had challenging birth experiences. Uh, that moved me on to then working with parenting. So I, I worked with We're Parenting for a long time and I'd run workshops and do one-on-ones with people. Uh, I then kind of moved into doing lots of big public speaking. So I've worked with the Resilience Project for the last few years, doing talks all over Australia on helping to raise resilient kiddos. Uh, three years ago, I opened my own school, Woodline Primary, which is here in Victoria, just out of Geelong, which is a school based all on emotional awareness, trauma-informed education. You know, it's a, we've got this beautiful 20-acre property with animals wow. and you know, kids climb trees and do a lot of their learning outside. And it really is, I think, um, a beautiful example of what education could look like when we put the child at the centre of the story. Uh, I'm also an author. I wrote a book, Raising Resilient, Compassionate Children, uh, which I released last year with Marion Rose. And I had the Aware Parenting podcast for a few years, which had, I think, over two and a half million downloads, which was all about parenting stuff. Um, Currently writing my second book at the moment, which is not so much a parenting book, but it's more about what happened to us when we were children and how that impacts who we are in the world. And probably my greatest job is that I'm a mama to three beautiful humans. I have a 23-year-old son, a 20-year-old daughter, and a 15-year-old daughter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of who I am. Amazing Just a bit of experience there. <laughs> yeah, and I must say that I came across you when I was about probably four months into motherhood, maybe five or four or five. Um, and I did come across you through the Aware Parenting podcast, um, and it felt like a breath of fresh air. I must must say, like listening to you and your perspective of yeah aware parenting conscious parenting raising resilient kids but also just the way that you integrate your own experience as a mother um and tara and i definitely talk on this podcast a lot about you know being more conscious when we're parenting our children of ourselves and wanting to change the way we're doing it um which is definitely what drew us to you and having you on here and we feel very lucky to have like an expert in the field of like what we constantly talk about we're like okay let's let's try yeah we try like let's get into this so can you tell us a little bit about what conscious parenting is to you what it means um, and yeah, yeah share, share a bit about that and how it differs. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, for me over the years, uh, I come back to the conscious parenting is, is a lot around attunement. So it's about uh, the capacity, the ability to 
tune into our children in front of us to be able to go, okay, well, where are they in this moment? But it is also the attunement to ourselves to be really curious around what our stories are, what's popping up. So I think conscious parenting, aware parenting, all these kind of, you know, gentle parenting, I think they all come from a strong attachment parenting base, which is about doing all that beautiful stuff like, you know, lots of skin on skin with your newborn babies. It's about meeting your children's needs. It's not using punishments and rewards, you know, to get our kids to do what we want. It's, um, you know, giving them choice and autonomy. It's kind of the basics, I think, of how we all should be treated as humans. So it's responding in that way. And I, and I think the difference is, you know, for many of us or many of the adults I've worked with we grew up in a behaviorism paradigm which was really around this philosophy of when you're good I'll reward you and when you're bad I'll take something away and behaviorism is all around you know teaching children to behave well to be good boys and good girls yet we know that actually comes at a cost really often to our spirit and our connection to ourselves so I think conscious parenting and and looking at it from that lens really comes to a different place which is around okay how do I help this beautiful child in front of me stay connected to themselves and grow up to be you know who they truly are they that authentic authentic version of themselves because for a lot of us particularly growing up in a paradigm of that behaviorism element you know we learned how to morph ourselves into certain roles to keep people happy I mean really that's what a lot of it is about is mm-hmm. about abandoning ourselves in certain ways to make sure that we're loved to make sure that we're liked to make sure people approve of us and and then I often find I end up working with a lot of the adults trying to undo all that stuff so that we don't then do that with our children so in a roundabout way I would come back to it is understanding the beautiful children in front of us understanding ourselves and then doing our own work so that we don't kind of place those hurts and burdens and wounds on that next generation and it is funny how we do get caught up, like you say, in our own, like the way we were raised. Um, even, you know, we're trying, like Kayla and I, we try and put into place conscious parenting and, um, you know, understanding feelings and things like that. But I still find myself occasionally when he does that, I'm like, good boy, good boy. Mm. I'm like, stop saying good boy, Tara. Like, <laughs> you're going to ruin him. Stop it. But it's yeah. just so natural because mm. it's like, that's what yeah. we were brought up saying. So I try to like reword it and to say good job and things yeah. like yeah. that. But um, is there anything... I guess in that sense, is that where I just have to stop and check myself before I go saying good boy? Yeah, well, I firstly just want to reassure you, if you're calling your son good boy and you're doing it every so often, it is okay. It's not going to failure. It's not going to be right. I mean, here's the thing. We we are all doing the best job we know how, right? And so if we're doing well 80% of the time, then we are winning. Like we're doing amazingly. So we are all going to have stuff that we do with our kids that we're not proud of. Like we're going to yell at some point. We yeah. all are because we get stressed and stretched, you know, and we're, we may move into, you know, going, I'll just give you chocolate if you do this. Like it's yeah. it's not going to ruin our kids. You know, I think I often say whenever I talk about parenting, messed up and done with your kids, I have totally done. You know, like mm. there, there is no perfect in parenting. Yeah. And I think the the invitation is really about just being curious and watching that. So as you say so beautifully, it's hard to sometimes undo what is deeply ingrained in us. And, you know, we hear that narrative again and again and again. So often it just comes out and it takes a a lot. And I think it often probably takes a whole generation of changing the languaging and also changing how we respond to children for it to become embodied in that next generation. So I often say to parents I work with, you know, this is a hard gig that you're doing because you are trying to look at it through a different lens. And I often explain it like this. You are speaking a brand new language. Now, if you uh, grew up in a family that spoke English, 
English, but conscious parenting is speaking Italian, then mm. we don't expect to just go, right, I'm going to speak Italian now and be fluent in Italian, right? We have to practice. We mess up. We go speak to other people who speak Italian. It takes practice to get it. And so often with parents I work with, they will give themselves a hard time if I'm messing it up. And I'm like, oh, my God, you are doing beautifully. You are learning. You are changing this imprint and this story and it takes time and as you practice speaking Italian and as you get it right and then you get it wrong your children grow up learning to speak Italian so that becomes their part of their native language and then they do it and and I think the beauty for me now of having older children is yeah I, I had to learn to speak Italian right and <laughs> funky and I had no one showing me and it was really hard and I messed up a lot yet I hear that my children speak that in a native way now right mm. and so they're adults now and you know, they work with children. My kids actually all work with children in, in their different jobs and oh, wow. the way they speak to them and the way they respond to them is so natural and embodied. It's beautiful to watch mm. because they know what it feels like to be treated that way. They know what empathy feels like. They know that feelings are okay. And so I, I think it is really important that we remember, particularly for our generation who's doing this, it can feel so clunky yeah. and we have to be compassionate with ourselves because we are changing something that wasn't modeled to us and shown to us and that always feels hard so we are doing the hard work for Mm. beautiful children and it is hard and that's something that we've definitely talked about as well is like it's all well and good to know the theory of it and like you know where even which we'll get into like what it means when your child is acting out in a certain way and based on their feelings but what we've really started to recognize in me personally is um how hard it is to actually do that for yourself. Like a part of this isn't just about your child. It's like, if you were never shown, like if you've never learned how to speak Italian and no one's ever taught you how, then you're going to naturally do it another way. And yeah, for example, like when my son is having big feelings, there's times where there's this like pressure in my chest where it just wants to like rip out and like literally roar. And that's actually what I've started doing sometimes with him is actually just standing beside him and going like letting out a roar and saying, mommy's doing this because mommy feels really frustrated right now, you know? And that's something that I've just started exploring because for me, I found in the beginning of motherhood, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do it this way and I'm going to do it different. I'm going to be more aware and I'm going to consciously be aware of his feelings, um, you know, not all about the behavior. But then I found myself almost playing out the good girl of like, I can't act mad around him. I don't want him to feel that way. And like, so bottling it all up within me and like, it would just, for me, I I don't ever think I really ever had even outbursts. It would just be like, my jaw would be so tight because I was clenching all the time and like trying to be so perfect around him. And it's actually been really beautiful to let go a bit and to actually show him and learn myself how to express anger, for example, healthily um, and know that that we're still safe together. So that leads into my next question around if there are adults out there wanting to do this, what are some things that adults can do, the parents themselves can do to help break that generational trauma, the imprint, um, to continue to break the cycle when essentially we weren't shown and we were unseen and unheard? Yeah, yeah, beautiful. And I I love that you are knowing or feeling even hey it's okay for me to be angry and and mm. I think you know one of the biggest things that people challenge with a challenge with with their children is anger but it's also the anger within and mm-hmm. I would say you know we can only really take our children as far as we're willing to go ourselves in the sense of expressing our feelings in healthy ways so for most of us and I love that you brought this up 
we weren't shown healthy ways to express anger. Anger is not bad, right? Mm -hmm. Projecting your anger onto someone is not great. Mm -hmm. Anger just says, hey, my boundaries are being crossed or my needs are not being met or I feel powerless. It's just a messenger to say something's going on in my being that doesn't feel in alignment here. And so when we have that feeling, it is not wrong or bad, yet most of us were taught that it wasn't okay, right? Mm. And so then we learn to shut it down. And particularly being females, we're taught to be good girls. Good girls don't get angry. They don't get Mm -hmm. upset. You kind of suck it up, right? And you just move on. So often what I have found too is that when we then become parents and our beautiful two-year-old won't put their shoes on (laughs) or the four-year-old is throwing something at the baby, then all of a sudden all that repressed anger that has often sat within us comes pouring out. And that feels terrifying and scary a lot of the time because we're like, I'm not like this, but it's often a lot of the stuff that's been buried deep down. Mm. And so I love your example of to go, hey, I'm observing in this moment, I feel angry. What do I need to do? Mm. I need to shake my body. I need to I just yeah. let some feelings out in a way that's not scary for our kids. Mm-hmm. I just need to acknowledge it's here and I can move it. So, you know, coming back to your question of how do we work with this, I think the first piece is always about observation and being curious what am I feeling in this moment now we all know that we all know when we can feel that frustration rising or we're starting to get angry and the key on some level is to just observe it and catch it and go yep I'm starting to feel out of balance here like I'm starting to get wind up Mm -hmm. and you know what we want to do is be able to observe it and catch it enough so that we can diffuse it if we can so that we don't project that onto our beautiful kiddos because that's what we end up doing we end up Mm. taking a lot of our own emotional baggage and then spraying it all over the people we love and I know that's that's not what anyone wants to do we don't want to do that but they are kind of the perfect targets on some level that or road rage right where you (laughs) you yell at people and they cut you off yeah so I think here the thing is is firstly about observation we're aware I'm getting angry and also actually going, and I'm not wrong for getting angry, right? And I'm not wrong for being frustrated because the reality is maybe it's one o'clock and I haven't even had breakfast yet and I need mm. to have a shower and the house is a mess and my two-year-old's really clingy today and it makes sense why I would lose it, right? Mm-hmm. And we put these expectations on ourselves that we should be peaceful and calm and happy and loving all the time when the reality is we're often parenting on our own, in our own houses. It's not how we're meant to have done it. You know, we're meant to be in community and, and the village and all of that and then we put pressure on ourselves that we're getting it wrong because we feel frustrated and the reality is is we're in a situation that is not necessarily meeting our needs as as parents so those feelings are understandable so we Mm. want to move into curiosity okay I'm feeling something the second thing we want to move into is not judgment and compassion yep I'm not getting my needs met right here so if I was to ask myself the question what do I need well I probably need my two-year-olds put their shoes on but I actually probably also need food because I haven't Mm. eaten (laughs) And I also probably need a break. So what can we do in this moment? Let's go outside and stand on the grass, right? And Mm -hmm. just take 20 seconds to just breathe. And maybe I feel the sun on my face and calm down and remember that, you know, I'm doing the best I can right now. And this feels really tricky. And and perhaps there's an indication here that I need more of a break, right? Because my capacity is really, really low. So I think the thing is we have to be kind and compassionate to ourselves in these situations because the default is often judgment of where Mm. we're at. And then we add more shame to the story, which then adds more anger. And like, it just builds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's that mum guilt, that societal mum guilt that's oh, just totally. there. Like totally. 
Yeah. So we want to observe. We want to be curious. We want to be compassionate. We want to ask, what do I need right now? Yep. Well, maybe I just need to put some food in my mouth and then I'll have a bit more capacity to navigate what's going on with my toddler or, you know, so I think it's, and and then we actually have to pull back and look from a bigger picture and go, okay, I'm feeling like that every day, which says to me that this is not sustainable and something needs to shift. And so what is that? Maybe I need more support in the home. Maybe I just need a break. Maybe, you know, what is it that needs to happen? Or maybe I need to go and talk to someone about the feelings that are sitting there. Mm-hmm. Because I often kind of come back to with parents saying that, you know, there's usually three reasons why we lose it at our kids. Like the first one is because we have a need that's not being met. And that's, I'm hungry or I need a break or please no one touch me for like, <laughs> you know, an hour. Yeah. Or, um, you know, it's I need to speak to another adult or, you know, it's a need and we meet that need and we feel better right? The second reason why we can often lose it is, is, is can be really around what we're thinking. Mm. And that can be a lot around what we're projecting onto our kids of things like, why are they making my life so hard? Or I'm a crap mum because they won't listen to me. And a lot of that thinking loop has a massive impact on our ability to be empathetic and compassionate. Mm -hmm. And it also can kind of add to this guilt story we have or beating ourselves up about not getting it right. And it's very hard to move from that place when we've got a narrative going on that's not very kind. But then the third reason why we often lose it with our kids is because it's tapping us into our own past hurts and traumas that are sitting there. And that can be from the fact that when our three-year-old is having a meltdown because we gave them the wrong colored cup and we're trying our best to listen to their feelings and then all of a sudden we feel rage come up in us. And if we were to be able to pause that situation in the moment and take a breath and go, well, what am I feeling right now? Well, I feel outrage. And if I was to ask myself the question, well, how old do I feel or where do I know this feeling from? Then maybe I might be taken back to being a three or four-year-old when I would have got upset about a cup and maybe I got smacked mm. or maybe sent to my room or maybe I got ignored or maybe I got yelled at. And what's happening in that moment for me is all those feelings of where I didn't get my needs met are being mirrored back to me with this beautiful little three-year-old who's upset. Mm-hmm. And so what we often then can see is so much of our own wounding and stories will often turn up in parenthood and they're asking to be healed. And that is probably one of the trickiest parts about parenting consciously is watching our own deep inner stories surface to be healed and how our beautiful kids kind of come along and go, hey, Mm. I think you've got a story here around this. Just gets ripped wide open for you. Yeah. Yeah. And then then what do we do? We judge ourselves because we've yelled mm. or we've lost it and, I think compassion is so much, it just has to be our bottom line here of like Mm. we're doing the best job we know how. And I think also it's the invitation is to be curious around what is here for me. So I say Mm. to parents all the time, if you are yelling a lot or you're losing it, like it's really important that we actually talk to someone about what's going on for us because we end up then hurting the people we love the most and we Mm. end up then kind of carrying that trauma and passing it on to the next generation So I think the greatest gift we can give our children is to know our own story and to do our own work. Mm -hmm. And if you want to know where to start, just look at where you get triggered, right? Look Mm -hmm. at where your feelings come up. Look at where you get really frustrated and and start working through some of those questions of like, well, what's here for me and what does that remind me of? And do I know that from a certain space or time in my life? And and what happened when I was four? How did my parents respond to my feelings? And usually with those prompts, we get, you know, closer to to feeling or understanding some of our own baggage that might be sitting there. 
Is it one of those things too where like Kayla was a teacher and I work in high, worked in high school and I was saying, I've said to Kayla on many occasions, like I feel really sorry for high school students. I feel like they're, you know, they don't get a lot of support. We're all about gentle parenting now and conscious parenting, bringing up our toddlers. But I feel like they've gotten to this point where they, they didn't have that. There's kind of like a bit of a, I guess, an overlap. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of pressure on them and like the school system doesn't meet their needs. Um, is it ever too late to to begin conscious, gentle parenting for people who do have older children? No, it's never too late. I yeah. mean, I work with adults, right, who have got all their own hurts and wounds and, you know, when we might go back to them being a 12-year-old and not getting their needs met. And then if I say to them, what is it that you would want to hear from your parents? You know, if you were 12 and what what is it that you would want to have heard in that moment? You know, people will say things like, you know, you're enough just the way you are and I love you and you don't need to prove yourself and, um, you know, it's safe for you to feel like all these things that parents will say. And I'm like, now they're adults and they would love to still hear that from their yeah. parents mm. who make in their 60s and 70s and 80s. Now, I often say, I'm just letting you know, your parents may not be capable of saying yeah. that, right? Mm. They're doing the best job they know how as well. But a lot of the adults I work with are still like, they would still love to hear that. Now, so I think at our beautiful teenagers, yeah, we have all done the best job we know how, right? And we get to those teen years and 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 particularly again, if we've just coped by controlling or shutting them down or, you know, bribery or punishments, you know, and, and again, that's it's often what we've all been taught that by the time they get to those teen years, yeah, there may be some defense going on with those teens, right? Mm-hmm. But it's never too late to repair. And it is never too late to actually drop into our own story and sit down and say to the teen, hey, I am really sorry if if what I've done in the past has caused you to shut down or feel really disconnected. And and what do you need from me? What can I do to repair this? Now that's an that's an uncomfortable conversation to have for some adults, you know, because yeah. you've got to be willing to hear what they've got to say. Mm-hmm. But it is a powerful conversation to sit there and say, please tell me if there's something I've done that has made you feel a certain way and what can I do to fix it? Now, I've seen that with clients I've worked with. I have seen so much disconnection melt in that one conversation because the parent is actually taking accountability for, you know, whatever they've done or said and said, how can I repair this and how can we do it better and how can we do it differently? Now, every situation is different and every family is different and, you know, it depends on the amount of wounding and story there and some teenagers are going to be like you got to do better than that <laughs> like, yeah. like are you for real one conversation is not enough and it may be there's many conversations that need to happen for that teenager to really learn to trust or to open their heart again but I absolutely believe that it is never ever too late I love that and I um love the, what you said about the disconnect and you're really like trying to reconnect again and I think that for me is what drew me into doing this like conscious parenting kind of thing um, was very much about how it was so focused on connection and I know for me as a school teacher schools are very much behaviorist approach it's very much get the children to fall in line because look from having compassion for teachers and me being in that position back then as well like you've got 30 kids under one roof and you've got one teacher and whether they're four coming in in prep or whether they're teenagers they've all got things that they need and you've got things you need and like as a teacher you've got pressures but something I found very apparent to me very early on when I was a teacher was that I just couldn't do it the way 
that the system was. And I really battled with that and just had to make my own little bubble in my own little classroom work a certain way, but I'm not going to lie. I definitely still can reflect now and see how I fell into that very much behaviorist way. But I think now being a parent, I've said to Tara many a time, I'm not sending my kid to to normal school, but I get very much stuck in I mean, look, it's like learning Italian. Where do you go and do it if you're not going to do this system? And there's lots of stories around homeschooling. And I've even said to Tara, I don't want to send him to mainstream, but I also don't want to homeschool. And then I laugh at myself because I'm like, you're a teacher. You can fully homeschool. It's so fine. But I definitely, um, it's something that we've talked about often, Tara and I, and I would love to hear more about your school. Uh, I think it's amazing that you have just stepped into that and really started this trend of offering something more aligned with focusing on children's emotions, because that definitely doesn't happen in school for the most part, I can say, um, in my own experience. So can you tell us a little bit more about Woodland Primary and how it differs from mainstream schools? Yeah. Well, firstly, I just want to so acknowledge what you were sharing. It's almost impossible to do what Mm. we do at Woodline when you are one teacher with 30 children. You can't. You know, it doesn't work. So the system isn't set up to support what you want to do and I I work with a lot of educators and I have deep compassion for them because so many of them like you were going I don't want to do it this way mm-hmm. but I don't have really any other option or I don't know how to not because one one adult and 30 kids is not ideal at yeah. all right and there's time and there's data and all these other pressures that we have it is really really tricky so I have so much compassion and empathy for educators because I just think mm-hmm. they're all doing an incredible job in a very very broken system yeah. and that's I think what's very very challenging um I think at Woodline you know for us and why I think we can do it the way we do it is because we set it from the ground up to look through this lens of putting the child at the centre and to come from a place of truly trauma-informed understanding. And for me, when I was creating the school, it always came back to this is that children can't learn unless they feel safe and seen and that they belong. And so how do we help children to feel seen? How do we help their nervous systems to feel calm? How do we create the right environment for them to learn? Well, as humans, we have basic needs. One of those is choice and autonomy. And when I think about it, and and look, a lot of the reason, I mean, there's a few reasons why I ended up building the school, but I think it was probably from my own wounding at school. And it was watching my three kids navigate a system that they did not belong in, you know, and who struggled deeply. And then were made to feel a bit wrong that they weren't complying or struggling when there was basic needs, you know, like going to the toilet when you want to go to the toilet or eating when you want to eat or moving your body when you want to move it. And they're basic things that we don't often allow children to do freely. And and I often joke, if adults had to go to school all day, there would be an uprising because we would be like, oh, my God, I'm not allowed to do anything. Like what to do all the time, right? And isn't it wild that we expect like five-year-olds to fall into line when, yes, adults definitely I used to struggle at like staff meetings to sit still like that whole time. All day, every day. I'd really struggle now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. And so I think it's it's interesting, you know, um, I mean, and, and people can understand this and look at this. When we look at how the education system was set up and it was set up really in the Industrial Revolution, it was really about creating a bunch of workers who would just do as they're told, right? And so our system has done very well in the sense of trying to create compliance and just create workers. It's done well and it's achieved what it's needed to. But it does not suit the world we live in now. And we don't need, we need innovators and creators mm, yeah. and we need people who 
um, question what's going on and as, are connected to themselves and the earth. And, you know, we're, we've got completely different needs now of what our world needs. And our, I don't believe our education system is supporting that. And so, and I know they're trying, like, I really wanted to say, there's a lot of brilliant schools out there that are trying really hard, but it, it's hard because you're pushing against a system that is very big and set mm-hmm. and you're pushing against an in, indoctrination that is so um, embedded mm-hmm. in our culture and who we are that that we think that that's the only way to be. So when you try something new, it's, it's very interesting. And it, it's been fascinating having our school for three years watching people's take on the side and what they think and then as they're seeing it evolve like it's it's fat it's very fascinating anyway that's a whole other podcast um <laughs> so this you know really I guess what Woodline is about is it comes back to those basics of choice and autonomy so you know the, the simple things as as well around um, children feeling seen and connected to so we don't we're a non-punitive school which means we don't use punishments and rewards so we don't put kids names on the boards if they're misbehaving and we don't give them stickers if they do something right really we come back to this this philosophy is that when kids feel connected and they feel calm then mostly they'll do what often what we want them to do right and they're more open to learning so how do we help kids to feel connected to themselves and how do we help them feel calm in their bodies so there's lots of things that we do so we have small classes so we have 16 children in a class we call our teachers guides so we have a main guide and then we have an assistant guide and the assistant guide's job is really to emotionally tune into the children and the group so if a child is having a hard time they can go jump on the trampoline they can have a swing they can go visit the animals they can take their shoes off and climb a tree if they need to they can go and chat about their feelings what's going on you know they we are there to attune to them to say what do they need to come back to in order to learn and really I think what we are teaching the children at Woodline is to be able to tune into themselves to say what do I need so really it's about helping them stay connected to their bodies to go I'm having trouble learning what do I need right now well I know I need to go run for 10 minutes so they go run they come back then they're able to concentrate and be there. Or, you know, they're able to identify, I feel so angry because at recess such and such did this and that wasn't fair and I've got feelings and they need to let their feelings out and they're, they're welcome, those feelings are welcome. So, you know, we are really focusing on helping children stay connected to themselves so that they know what they need to do to in order to learn. We also set up our beautiful learning spaces. We have the most amazing, we've got the most amazing team in our school, but amazing leader of learning, Rach, uh, Rachel Fox, she, um, you know, we are a Reggio Emilia based school. So we're really heavily play-based learning. So all our spaces are so beautiful in that they're calming and there is lots of different stuff for children to, to use in order to learn. So it's really inviting the children to know how they learn best and giving them the opportunity to learn in the way that makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. So we've got lots of different options of learning and we're really about inquiry-based learning. So what are you interested in? What, you know, we know that again, the data all says that when kids are interested in something they will learn right but yeah. when we're sitting there going right now we're learning about ancient Greece they're like who cares yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, there's no relevance to me right so how do we give them how do we you know we use the Australian curriculum how do we fold the curriculum into their inquiry and what they're interested in so we do a lot of planning there's a lot of planning across all the um, different age groups that we have there at the school the bigger picture of what we're working on for the year and you know we do a lot of project-based learning and stuff as well so children can see what they're learning in action which makes a difference as well so there's 
those kind of basics that we do. But I think the key piece of what's really important as a school is we welcome feelings and emotions. You know, yeah, it's just going to, sorry to cut you off there, but I was just no. going to say, like, I'm sure that might be some parents listening who may have older children who are already in school um, or have spoken to another parent and be like, oh, that school is really good because they're inquiry-based and because they're even on the Gold Coast, there's schools that say that. But I just want to say from being in the system myself, yes, schools are trying. Schools are trying to be inquiry. They're trying to be play-based. They're trying to put in... Um, even resilient based, you know, like not, I was going to say systems, but programs to really support that. But again, it comes down to the structure of the school itself and the system in that the schools are still, uh, the the rooms are nearly three times the size of the ones at Woodland, Woodland Primary. And also that, yeah, it just, it's just, I just really wanted to highlight that because I feel like from being in the system, it's really easy to go, yeah, well, we're doing that too. We're doing that too. But there isn't enough focus on emotions. It's all about the children that are struggling to connect, feel connected. They're the ones who are acting up and acting out in class, but they're the ones who are also being painted as the problem child and the ones that just need to learn how to pull up their socks now because they're in grade three and this isn't good enough anymore. And yeah, yeah, it really is just nice to hear that there is change coming in the way of your schools. And I've been saying to Tara, I'm just praying that by the time Elliot goes to school, you're going to want to open one up here in Queensland. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least actually yeah, yeah, in the hinterland in the northern rivers would be great. That's where yeah. I would personally love it. So no, I, I can let you know that I have I'm working with someone who's looking at opening a school on the Gold Coast that's it's based on Woodline. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. So where um, I manifested that, I'm just gonna claim that I manifested <laughs> <it>. <laughs> uh so it could be coming. Yeah. I mean yeah, I get yeah. asked all the time to open more schools and I'm mm-hmm. always like yeah. no, no, it's it's massive. It's uh, huge. Like, can massive imagine. It's not like you just feel like yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. It's really it's hard and it's it's full on and it costs a lot of money and, and I did it with partner Mel who um who was the founder at school you know she's the one who came to me and said let's build this school you know she wanted a place for her children to go and I had no interest in building a school like I didn't even like education (laughs) but she was really like let's take everything that you've taught me in this parenting lens and everything that you know and let's put it into this school and so that's kind of how it came to be so Mel and I together created this opportunity and then really it was about having the incredible team so our principal Claire Butler who's amazing you know she's taken this vision and and absolutely run with it like and I often say this to people all the time the school is far better than what I ever dreamed it to be like it Mm. is amazing and that's got to do with incredible people that that work there and and you know one of the big things is that you know it is all about learning as well you know and and you know one of the fears I think from parents is yes how beautiful you hold space for their feelings and emotions but what about the learning and I'm like well our data has now shown us that the learning actually is going off the charts because Mm. kids feel balanced they feel seen they are curious they want to learn you know and so all the learning is happening in their own ways and it's almost like that that nordic um kayla and i always talk about you know schools overseas and Mm. places that we feel are doing it well who start their kids a lot later at school and don't put pressure on them to have tests and things like that and the results that come back when they do you know do those kind of things are you can't argue with that you can't and it's true like we even see not only the emotional development of the children which is extraordinary to witness and watch but we see the academic growth of them Mm. and a lot of the time it's come from having safe spaces to work through those blocks or those fears around not getting it right or not being able to do something it's giving them opportunities to learn around things that they love that then they're really invested in it's you know there's so many different pieces that we bring together in doing it and and I think look our school works because the whole team is on board so Mm. all our educators are on board with the same thing and I I really appreciate again in some other schools 
that's what can be very, very tricky if yeah. you have staff mm. that don't necessarily believe in it. And so that's hard. And, you know, one of the other key pieces of what we do at Woodline is we take care of the team in order to be able to mm. take care of children. You can't expect adults to hold space for kids' feelings and do what they're doing unless we give them opportunities to be heard and to be listened to and, and to meet their needs. And so our well-being is a really important part of what we're doing at the school, which is very much around how do we take care of the adults so that they can take care of the kids. And, and within that, we invite all our educators to be really vulnerable. We do connection time every morning. We really invite them to go, where are you? in your body what do you need do you need 10 minutes to go walk in the trees like what do you need Mm -hmm. to come back so you can be present and and what we see in the team is pretty amazing of them building that beautiful connection and safety and trust with each other but absolutely owning their vulnerability and moving Mm -hmm. whatever needs to move so they can turn up in the way they need to yeah, that's really beautiful. And it's almost like what we're talking about, how if we want to be conscious parents, we need to tend to ourselves. And I think that's, yeah, another beautiful piece of what you're doing and definitely looking forward to the Gold Coast one coming. You know? <laughs> um, but just shifting gears a little bit away from schooling back to children and toddlers, T- Tara and I, um, we're very much in the in toddlerhood. We have two two-year-olds uh, between us and one on the way, but we're in, we're in the two-year-old years. And I... Um, it's been very apparent to us how how nice it is to have more and more mums who are in the way that we are that you know we don't like to say they're having a tantrum and they're you know they're being difficult we really look at okay what's going on but we often have conversations because we've never been shown this way um, about how hard it is when you are seeing your child lash out and be physical so I personally have always just had this knowing of like I get it like in, you can see it's primal for them it's primal like to, it comes out in like rage and they want to like energy. fight or hit or whatever um, but yeah what's your advice <laughs> For asking for a friend <laughs> for both. Yeah. So what is your advice around when you've got young children, toddlers who are lashing out in physical ways? To um, react, to, How do we, how do we do navigate we... that? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's the best way I could put it. It's like, we're trying our best to, you know. Question. Yeah. Especially if they've Am hurt I... someone else's child or something like that. Yeah. I mean, automatically you, you want to feel empathy and, you know, mm. show them. Mm-hmm. But you also feel awful because it's someone else's child. And you're like, oh my God, don't hit that child or pull their hair. Or, but it, we all know it's very natural too. Totally. Yeah, it's really hard. It's There's many layers to it. I mean, the first thing I always come back to is this is, and I love that you both say this, is to recognise the first thing we want to watch, what we're thinking, and to mm. recognise my child's having a hard time. They're not mm. being naughty and they're not bad. Mm-hmm. They're actually going, oh, I can't cope anymore, or my nervous system is just reached capacity, or I feel really powerless, or I feel really unsure. And so the only way I can express that is to hit someone. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so I think it is really important that we understand firstly their why. And it's not, they're not doing it to be a bully or make someone's life difficult. They're doing it because they exactly say it's primal, they can't help it. So mm-hmm. the first thing I think is for us to be always really curious is like, yep, there's something going on there. Now, there's ways that we can, even before we get to a situation where that happens, there's ways that we can do maintenance around that. And that firstly is about kind of tuning into our kiddos sometimes and thinking, yeah, we're about to go to play group, but you know, he hasn't had sleep and we've had a really full on morning. So odds are he's probably going to lose it at the play group. Mm-hmm. Is it wisdom to go or do we go and we stay for 20 minutes and then leave? Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we have to just be curious as what do I feel that they can handle in those moments? Cause we often ask a lot of our kids and, mm-hmm. um, and I think, you know, and then we get surprised that they act up and we're like, yeah, well, you know, the capacity is mm-hmm. 
small. So I think there's that that we have to be curious about. The second thing is too is doing lots of stuff with them where they feel centered and grounded in their body so that they do feel calm around other people. And that's about, you know, we can do lots of one-on-one time with them or laughing or power reversal games where they get to kind of feel in charge and move their bodies and energy so that they don't have an accumulation of that stress there so that when we are in situations with others, it doesn't necessarily come out. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that's like they might have a big cry before you go to play group and you know then they don't have a big buildup of feelings that are sitting there because you can see it in kids when they're already on the way to being out of balance and agitated and it's Mm -hmm. just going to take one child taking the truck off them and the next minute it's like a punch on, right? And you you can see it because you can tell there's something going on there. And so sometimes... We have to be really aware of like, well, is this going to serve all of us right now? And maybe not. And I, I just want to say, no, that can feel really hard when we're at home on our own and we're staff for adult contact. We're like, I just want to go yeah. out and tea and yeah. eat a biscuit with my friend. And, you know, so what we want to do is on those days, we're like how do we meet their needs before we go so that we're less likely for that to happen, right? So mm. there's that kind of maintenance stuff we can do. And sometimes no matter what you do, it, doesn't, it just still happens. They're still right? going to do it, yeah. We, we just have to roll with that. So in the moment, when a child is acting out or hurting or hitting or something like the first thing we want to do is get in there as quick as we can and make sure we keep everybody safe. And I, I usually recommend saying things like that. I'm here to help, right? I'm the, I can see you've got some big feelings. I'm here to keep everybody safe. And so you get in there with your body so that they can't hit someone else or that kind of stuff. And I always come back to the default of saying what I see. I can see you are so angry, Charlie, that, you know, you hit the block, you know, you hit Tommy with the truck and Tommy, I'm so sorry that Charlie hit you. He's got some big feelings there. Let's make sure that we can all, you know, that we're, that, you know, we, we can, that we're okay. Like, as in, what do we need to do to help? So we're just saying what we see in the moment, you know, and trying to stay as calm as possible, because obviously what our children need in that moment is a calm adult and a calm nervous system that is going to help them know okay someone's in charge here right so when we come in hot and yelling which I know is a default because we are in high load of like oh my god you can't hurt someone else all that kind of stuff again we're often adding to the stress Mm -hmm. of it so if we can come in and I think that's why saying what you see and even saying the words I'm here to help helps us go yeah I am here to help that's my job right Mm -hmm. I'm I'm adult here let's be the adult Mm -hmm. so come in I'm here to help I'm sorry I didn't get here quick enough I can see we've got some big feelings going on you know and then of course you're attending to a child that's hurt first like you know trying to make sure that they're okay and then you know I often would pick up my child or if it was you know in that group and move them somewhere else to really hold a limit to see if we can get some of those feelings out for them Mm. cause the aggression in the first place which might be like sweetheart I'm going to take that truck off you and I'm going to give it back to Tommy Mm now and then that might just cause a great big eruption and then we want to be there for that eruption where we just stay calm and we say I know you're really angry you want the truck but you can let it out and I'm here and I'm listening and I'm not gonna I'm not willing to let you hurt anyone else mate but I'm here and I've got you and we hold that calm whilst the storm is brewing and hopefully that anger then moves into those tears and then those tears you know move into that kind of calming and healing of the body so that they then are back in balance mm. and they're more willing to move on so that in an ideal world is is how I would handle a situation like that sometimes it looks way messier than that then <laughs> we can add another layer of feeling like we're being judged for our child and there's mm-hmm. you know it's, it's tricky like and I think the mm. thing is sometimes when we're parenting this way 
it is a lot easier when we're hanging out with other parents who get it totally. because they're not going to look through that lens of judging your child. Mm. You know, they're going to be like, oh, he's having a hard time. It's cool. Yeah. We've had a hard time. And what do you need, mama? How can we help yep. you? And and even that reassuring look from someone whilst you're holding big feelings and they look at you like with that look of you doing an awesome job it helps us go, yes, I am. I can do this. I can hold the storm, right? And, yeah. and I'm here just to help all those feelings pass. Mm, definitely more articulate than my gentle hands gentle hands (laughs) I mean the thing I would say too about gentle hands is um even if we say that to our our children and a good thing to remember is this is that in that moment it's not their understanding of what's going on that is going to stop them from doing what they're doing right so even sometimes when we say things like gentle hands or we don't don't hit it actually doesn't register anywhere with them because it is coming from the body it's coming from that powerless state that we do it now we often say things because we're like i just want to just yeah. do mm. what's going on but it's parents will often say to me i keep saying be gentle it doesn't do anything i'm like yeah because gentle it's like you could be saying have spaghetti have yeah. spaghetti mm. but it doesn't it doesn't resonate anywhere because it's not coming from a cognitive i shouldn't do this it's coming from a place within the body that's just this knee jerk oh, i don't yeah. like that i feel powerless i want to get power over something mm-hmm. else so that's why, again, words are really powerful, but sometimes it doesn't land anywhere near a child when it's not coming from that state, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's really interesting too how this way of parenting and just being as adults even, it really calls us to be present, mm-hmm. very present. And yeah. it's it's like you're at the cafe with your kids and there's a playground and they're like playing and you're trying to sit there, like you said, and meet your own needs of like having a coffee with your child, uh, with your child, <laughs> never going to happen, <laughs> having a coffee with your friend and you just yeah. want your kids to play so you can enjoy that coffee. And you like, I know for me, I like my eyes are darting, like watching and like trying to be present, but actually I can reflect many times where I'm like going, remember gentle head, like remember to do this, like, and you're, you're trying to diffuse before it even gets there. But really what is needed is for you to step away from the conversation you're in because you are the adult and it is your role to get closer and to lower the expectation on our child. And I know that I've definitely in the last couple of weeks been more aware of that even of just like, what am I expecting of him? And the fact that I mm. actually need to be present. Yes, I can have a conversation, but I need to pause mm. and I need to respect the fact that he's two and, yeah. you know, um, and, and meet his need. Well, not even just meet, meeting his needs, but just doing my role, the one that I chose and to be there. And it is, it's actually really, um, it's been interesting to observe all that thought process of late of like the judgment worry of what other people think and, you yes. know, the expectations and am I doing it right? And the pressure that comes up in your own body when they're having their big feelings. And I think mm-hmm. just to anyone who is trying this, it is a lot. So it is really nice to be around other mums that are getting it, you know, yeah. and, um, but yeah, I just want to say that it's just a call to be present. And for all of us, that can be really hard because we spend a lot of our time not being present. hundred percent. You explain it so beautifully. And I think it's that thing of even coming back to when our kids are in balance. So when they're feeling calm, we can say gentle hands and they'll hear it. Yeah. Yep. But when they're not, doesn't matter. And I think yeah. what you, and I think that's what you're saying too. The attunement to where they're at is so important. And that requires us being present. Mm. So I remember when my kids are little, you know, and I'd catch up with a friend because, you know, sometimes the days are boring and long and you're like, why is this meant to be good? And it's not. There's days, we all have days like that where we're like, oh, God. And so you need a friend because you're like, I just Mm. need some, you know, human contact or I just, (laughs) this feels really tricky and I I need to chat. We we need that empathetic listening with each other. And so our needs are big there to just have that. And then it can feel frustrating when our kids are off and they're not getting along. And, and, and so it's, 
it's it's messy sometimes. It's really messy, you know. And and I always come back to this, going, okay, well, what we need to focus on too is how do you, how does mum get her needs met? Mm. You know, we often try and do it in the context of with our children as well. But there's also times where we need to get our needs met, which may need you need to go out with your friend without children and mm-hmm. hang out and chat and meet and yeah. fill yourself up so you can then be with your kids. Because it's it's tricky, and I think that's a really important thing that we say in all families. How do we all get our needs met? And that's not, and that might be your partner as well. It's mm-hmm. older children. It's how do we meet all those needs in the family unit? Because it's very easy when we're looking at little people just to meet their needs, which is our job, as you're right, and neglect our own. And then when mm-hmm. we neglect our own, we often become resentful mm-hmm. and become crabby, and then we have goes at our partners, and then our kids are like, "Well, this five doesn't feel good, so I'll hack up even more." Mm-hmm. And it's a perfect storm of no one get their needs met. <laughs> it doesn't work. And I think it's easy for mothers and probably fathers too, but mothers, because we're often around them to, I often hear the story and it's one I told myself was like, but how am I going to get time? But how and when? And something I found really helpful was to just get curious, like you do with your child, like how can I meet their needs? But how can we, in, in a partnership with your husband or your partner, how can we both get our needs met? What needs to shift? What do we need to let go of? And there has been a lot of letting go in this process, which allows them to bring in that time to meet your own needs and to go out with your friends and there's a lot of letting go as much as there is being present and being curious letting go is a big one too it's mass it's so Mm. massive like I think having babies for the first time and I mean it's amazing Tara that in the sense of having a second baby right you're gonna be okay I'm already a mum so I don't have to go through that initiation you're just learning how to juggle right so it's just meeting other people's needs but the hardest part's already often been done which is the initiation which is really about that servitude that we move into and it feels massive for a lot of women because it's such a shock to the system right and so I think often by the time we have second and third children there is a lot more ease in that mothering role because we we've already we already know what it takes it's just trying to juggle but I think you're exactly right Caleb what you're saying is the surrender piece is huge mm-hmm. and 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 particularly surrendering our belief systems and thoughts around what we think it looks like because most of us have pretty strong stories and imprints from the family of origin that we grew up in around taking care of our own needs you know one of the things mm-hmm. I talk about a lot is if we look at our relationship to self-care, particularly as women, um, most people have a pretty warped relationship to self-care. And and a lot of that's got to do with the fact of what we watched in our family of origin growing up. So if we watched a mother who kind of sacrificed herself all the time or was the martyr or put everybody else's needs first and served herself last and never took time for herself, then whether we like it or not, that is our imprint of what we think a good mother looks like. Mm. And so we often carry the same. And so then when we try try and meet our needs or have some self-care what happens we feel guilty mm-hmm. or we feel like you know oh well other people don't need it why should I have to like you know like we have a whole yeah. story around it when really actually it's a fundamental need mm-hmm. you know to take care of ourselves so we can be better at taking care of others but it's often there's deeper stories always within it definitely well, Absolutely. it's been such a good chat. I know, we, we could, talk we could day, literally honestly. talk all day. I we had you for six hours. <laughs> <laughs> but we will start to wrap it up. We always ask our guests, particularly mothers, the same three questions. So I'd love to ask you, what is your favourite thing about motherhood? I think it's watching my children, like, um, more not morph, move further into 
the true essence of themselves. So I think watching them blossom and become who they are in the world. And I think I've got this beautiful perspective now because they're adults and watching them move into the world in the way they are. Like I, I had a Zoom last night with my son. He's currently in maybe Albania or somewhere. I don't know. He's traveling. Wow. He's somewhere random. I don't know. I'm like, where are you today, mate? And I'm on Zoom looking at him at this beautiful, massive, strapping 23-year-old. And I'm looking at him like, oh, my God, I made you. Mm. And you are this extraordinary, beautiful human. And he was telling me about some of the people he'd met on his travels. And and I'm just looking at him thinking, you know, there's this weird thing. We have our kids when they're really little and it's all about wiping their bottoms and getting them to sleep and making sure they're having enough vegetables and all that stuff. And then they grow up to be their own unique human. And I just, as I watched that, my son last night, I was like, oh, you don't belong to me. Like I don't own you. You are your own human. And one of the most beautiful parts I think of mothering is watching my children become who they are and who they're meant to be in the world and knowing that they have full permission to be that Mm. and that's and that's where I feel like I've done a good job that they are connected to themselves they're not making themselves be something in order to keep us happy but they are doing what what lights them up so I think that to me has been one of the most beautiful things to witness over time I love that. And I do love watching your personal journey with your own children because, you know, this way of parenting, it's, it is generationally changing and it's just nice to have someone like you with older children to remind younger mums like us with younger children to be like, oh, this is okay. And it mm-hmm. is what, what the intention we're setting and what we're hoping for is possible. So and that actually made me like quite emotional. Yeah. Love, like picturing Bo in 23 years I or know. something like on the other end of Zoom and I'm like, oh my God. Letting go. I do remember Lau, when you um, posted the story when he was getting ready to leave and you were like allowing yourself to cry and I was like, oh my God, that's so going to be me. Like <laughs> these all mothers. But it is nice again to not be in that, like to know that we don't have to let our fears override us. Like we, every parent says we, you would always have, I'm sure because every Every parent is doing their best, whether they're aware or not, they're doing their best. And it's like every parent says, I want my child to be who they are and to travel the world. But how many of us get stuck and get stuck in the judgment and get stuck in the fears? And it's just, yeah, really nice and reassuring to see all of this play out to your children who are now adults. And Tara, yes, we will be holding hands with our kids when they're like backpacking some country. <laughs> well, but... I, mean, I traveled to Morocco on my own for my 30th birthday. And I remember mum being like, because mum's always really like pushed me to travel and do things like that. But when I decided to go to Morocco on my own, she was a bit like, okay, okay, I can deal with that. And she would like message me every five minutes. There was like a bus crash somewhere in Morocco. And she'd be like, just checking in, seeing if you're okay. <laughs> it's the nice. trickiest thing, the letting mm. go is huge. Mm. It's huge. And, you know, we, we're prepared most of our life from the moment we give birth to then when they first go to kindergarten and then they might go to school and then school camp and all the times where we have to have those little letting goes of letting them be out there in the world and then teenage years is massive letting go and then mm. they get to adulthood and you're like, you are your own being and mm. It is just a privilege to know you and to mm. hang with you and, um, you know, like you've just come through me. That's all. I don't own you and I you are your being. And it's a really beautiful, poetic place to sit in, to witness them in that way. It's it's amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah. So on the flip side <laughs> of that question yeah. is what's your least favourite thing or the hardest thing about being a mum? I think no matter what age our kids are at, it's hard watching them in pain and it's hard watching them struggle. And, you know, I kind of sometimes joke 
you know, give me a raging four-year-old any day as opposed mm. to a teenager who's in the midst of some deep, dark stuff. Like that's hard. I think probably some of the hardest parts of parenting, the early parts of parenting were hard for me because I didn't get my needs met and I was mm. I was so, I was a real martyr and I just wasn't, I, I wasn't connected in many ways and so mothering felt really hard uh, all the time actually and, and I didn't like it. I was, I was pretty resentful and it wasn't until I kind of came across this work and then um, really had to look at my own story that it changed. So a lot of the hardness kind of moved from it because I began to take care of my own needs and I could handle it. But I think probably one of the hardest parts of parenting or mothering is, you know, it's sitting in the fire with your kids when it's really hard Mm -hmm. and you want to fix it and and you can't and you need to just be there with them, holding that spaciousness of trust that I trust that you'll find your way through this. Mm -hmm. And that's tricky. And, And I think more so in the teenage years than any space is when they're really having to wrangle with who they are and and all this bigger stuff and the stakes feel higher it's it's hard to sit there and so that has been challenging that and also when my kids were younger and when you got sick and you're not allowed to be sick when you're oh, a mum. So I wish that. someone. Yeah. I don't think I ever thought about that before becoming a mother I no. just remember looking at my husband the first couple of times it happened and I was like how do we do this like yeah. Yeah. how but then you yeah. find a way, as you do, you find a way. Do. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was the thing I used to joke about is like the one thing I missed before having kids was being sick and just being sick, right? Yeah. <laughs> then you're a mum, you're yeah. sick and you're still doing everything. So Yeah, yeah definitely. And then that note of just having to do everything, have you got any good mum hacks for us? <laughs> <laughs> My mum hacks, this is going to sound wrong, I usually involve a snack plate and um, <laughs> sitting and listening. And I think maybe because it has been a long time since my kiddos are little, uh, but I'm still, and I still got a 15 year old at home and I'm watching her just wrangle life. Mm-hmm. Um, my mum hack is often this, particularly in those 10 years when our kids are a bit shut down or those grumpy. I'm like, there's nothing as a good snack plate and going and sitting on their bed and just chilling. Mm. Fix, you know, and yeah, yeah and I, I found that. Yeah, yeah, go. I was going to say, you know what I was thinking though is like even with a two-year-old, right, all they want when they're out of balance is you and your connection. So, And all they usually want to is food. So you can make a snack plate and you take it to the mat and you play the race cars they want to play. Yes. Or like it's the same thing in essence really. It's like drop everything and let's both – because all often too we need food. Like how many yeah. times do we miss out? So like I actually love – I'm going to start to remind myself that. Snack plate and time together. Let's do this. And just connection and that's it. Yeah. And then often it's just – and it's not that we're using food to numb feelings, but I think you're exactly no. right connection it's bringing that hey I see you enough and and I've especially found that in the teenage years too when my kids are having a hard time or a bit shut down they wouldn't even ask I'd just make them snacks and I'd bring them in and it was like an act of love and they'd be like you know thanks for thinking of me or something like that Mm. and that's we all want that we all Mm. want to be put of in that way and so yeah that's a good one I love it I really like that one me too. Usually people say food prep and I'm not into that. No, we've snack had so plate, many like, food prep. I mean, I know you have to prep really? the snack plate, but not like, yeah. yeah. Well, the snack yeah. plate's a good one. Done. <laughs> well, so where can people, yeah. before we go, find you? I mean, we will put everything on the show notes, but where can people find you if they want to? Uh, so you can find me at laylstone.com.au. I often joke that the only benefit of being given a weird name when I was a kid is that <laughs> you Google me and no one else turns up. So. <laughs> 
Lale Stone at the moment. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I've got all my courses and stuff on my website. I forgot to mention, I just launched another beautiful website called Motheration, which is all Yes, for, I saw that actually on Instagram. In the first six months postpartum. So we've Love just that. released a program um, with my friend Bernadette from Core and Flora Store. She's amazing um, too, I might add. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. she's awesome. Um, so we just launched a program called Holding the Mother, which is for mums in the first six months postpartum. And it's all about that, um, you know, emotional transition into motherhood. We talk a lot about relationships, meeting our mm-hmm. needs. And B does all the beautiful um exercise I was going to say performance it's not performance it's, <laughs> well it kind of is with me it kind of is she does put a performance to everything she does <laughs> she's great um but it's a beautiful program and in healing your body in the first six months mm. postpartum, so there's heaps of beautiful exercise stuff that she does and there's downloadable relaxations and it really is a kind of that it's that holding in those first six months of figuring out who you are and it's kind of yeah it's, it's yeah. getting that we're about to release another program called centering the mother which is for all women um who are mums and um you know it covers kind of all the parts that we still struggle with our relationship to self-care and boundaries and anger and mum rage and and then again stuff body stuff as well so there's a whole program there so right. yeah we've I've got that as well so there's lots of different things and and um I mean there's still I'm not on the aware parenting podcast anymore but there's still like 130 episodes so it's, mm. you know, we still have in a back catalogue of all topics, which I think are really great, is a great resource for parents if they're starting off. Amazing. Well, thank Absolutely. you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. We really, we really appreciate, appreciate your it. time. We'll uh, see you all. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed our chat. Thank you. We'll see you all next week. See you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.